welcome to the latest uh, in the series of the Hollywell Trust Conversations podcast that consider some of the most challenging problems that we faced in our society in Northern Ireland and especially in the northwest of Ireland. I'm Jared Dean from Hollywell Trust. We're a peace and reconciliation charity from Derry. Joined as ever by local journalist Paul Gosling. Paul, how's things? They are perfect, Jared. Well, perfect. A queer state to be in. Good on you. Okay, so Paul... Uh, the series to date looked at a wide variety of concerns which have included funding of the sector, the community voluntary sector, the continuing unwanted role of paramilitary organisations in our society and a whole range of other things including dumping illegally and all types of things. But today we're talking about the regeneration of Derry's two landmark development sites, Fort George and Everington. So there's been a lot of criticism of slow progress with Fort George still largely vacant and Everington only now really coming to vibrant life. Can you give us a, a bit of a brief history on this, Paul, perhaps starting with Ebrington? Yeah, thanks, Gerard. Um, the former Ebrington Barracks, which have also been known at one time as HMSC Eagle, were gifted to the Northern Ireland Executive as part of the Reinvestment and Reform Initiative in May 2002. So for Ebrington, this is a process of 21 years. Now, the other sites that were handed over alongside Ebrington at that time were Mays Longkesh, Crumlin Road Jail and the Barracks in Magrofelt and Malone Road in Belfast. Okay, so um, where are we now? Now, there's been a lot of criticism of slow progress, but things at Ebrington have speeded up recently, especially with the Ebrington Hotel opening in the summer of this year. And now there are also bars and cafes and offices that have opened around the main square. And as well as that, we've got the major new grade A offices at the adjacent Ebrington Plaza that are now looking as if they are near completion. Okay. So we can't do this podcast without mentioning the fact that there was a bit of a row over the last, <laughs> recently. Yeah, you call it a row, I just say a tension. Okay, so there's been, <laughs> there's been tension over the use of the main public space at Ebrington. And that's led to the executive office making compensation payments, payments of at least £280,000 to businesses. Um, as this relates to a legal dispute, I don't think we're going to go there in this conversation today. But it's fair to say that there's been criticisms of the executive office for its handling of the matter. OK, so what do businesses at Ebrington feel about it uh, as a place to do business and trade and whatever? Now, I contacted several, uh, some of whom did not want to come on here to discuss this. Now, the Ebrington Hotel did not respond to our request for an interview, and nor did Ebrington Holdings, which has a role... Uh, in future developments. I'm not quite sure exactly what its role is, but it has some sort of role in the future development, but it didn't answer my request for a conversation with them. Um, now, I did speak to two businesses based at Ebrington, which are both very positive about the location. So perhaps we listen first to James Huey, who's the founder and owner of the Ward City Brewery. Not everyone who's listening will know very much about the Ward City Brewery. So, so tell us what you're doing and, and how long you've been doing it. Yeah, so we... Uh... I'm from Derry originally, Paul Arts, um, originally Donegal, uh, went to school in Derry and then left in 1986 um, with no intention to come back, I have to say. Um, went down to Dublin, studied down there and then joined Guinness uh, and I brewed in Guinness for like 12 years. Um, during that time, I met a Dublin girl. Uh, she brought me back here, uh, which was quite unusual in 2010. So what we came back to was sort of a for me, certainly, as a city transformed, um, you know, just something as simple as the city culture uh, being announced um, really showed me that the city had changed a lot and it was really on the crest of something quite special, we thought. So, 
So we came back in 2010 and um, my time in, in Guinness came to an end. I was commuting up and down to Dundalk at that stage. And then uh, in 2014, we decided we wanted to set up a business ourselves. So Crafts Brewing uh, and, and was, is growing or was growing and still is growing. Um, we have a big fondness for, we were big foodies as well. Uh, and we also love the city. So we wanted to set up a sort of a very different venture um, to what's currently happening in the city. So we, we looked at the city center there um, we worked with Jim Roddy and the Service Centre Initiative and went around a number of buildings. Uh, it's just very hard to get a grip in terms of what um, what buildings were available and if they, you know, because a lot of big big businesses own a lot of buildings in there in uh, in the in the town. And then, of course, we we were invited to come over to, to look at Everton Square, where they were they were just starting to release the first phase one, which was. Uh, building 70 where we are uh, and building 5759 which is where the, the cafe is in Langton. and of course what you've got now is a pretty we were high of, profile location there I mean so how, how does it work for you in terms of the quality of trade and things is it, does it, is it a good site for you yeah I mean so, so what always what always struck me is the location um, we're obviously at the end of the Peace Bridge which has helped so much which has helped the city so much um, but we love the location and, you know, a lot of our advisors and mentors weren't too um, optimistic. So we're talking 2015 and they were saying, well, maybe it's going to be a long way before it actually gets there. And you, I always believe the markets will answer the questions anyway. So there, there were very few, there's always this talk of fill it with bars and restaurants. The reality is nobody really wanted to go there um, because it was so barren. Um, so we were invited in to look at Building 70. We loved the look of it. it. It really fitted the business model that we wanted because it's very different what we do do in terms of brewing our own beers on site. So we wanted something somewhere a bit different as well. Um, and then we opened in May 2015. And, and how's that been for you? I mean, it must have been tough initially when you didn't have very many people wandering around Ebrington. I, and presumably it's much better now. Yeah, it was the first cheapers, you know, all the way up to COVID was, was so for the first five years were extremely difficult. We, we managed to get by because um, what we offer something very, very different. So we were, we were, we were a destination of sorts, I suppose, for, for example, American tourists wanting their own beer. Um, but it's certainly, you know, you, you survive in any hospitality business with sort of walk-in trade and then, um, and then, and then bookings, but walk-in trade was negligible because people just weren't walking around the square. They would cross the Peace Bridge and then they go back across the bridge. And the cafe came through in 2015 as well. They were, were very successful, the first iteration, and then they, they've had a number of owners since with varying degrees of success, but certainly that walk-in trade, which is the bread and butter for a lot of places in terms of locations, if you look at the city centre, and um, we didn't have that, so we had to carve ourselves out as a destination, and we just got by. I mean, COVID, in a weird way, kind of did save us because we um, we we changed our revenue streams and we got a grant for a new tap room at the back, so we're good now. But that was very difficult. Uh, and in hindsight, you know, in 2015, we were told the hotel would be open in a couple of years, and there'd be lots of other, but that never came through for for a number of reasons, which. Which I'm sure we'll go into, you know. And and does your walk-in trade uh, is it better now with the hotel opening? It took a while just to suppose for dairy people to 
um, you know, even something like COVID again, COVID really opened up Everton Square. Actually, was a lot of people just wanted open spaces and coffees, and so we there was a huge amount of people on the square within 2021 that maybe didn't go there. Um, so now, yeah, certainly that the hotel has changed significantly, and it's given a lot of life to the square. It's given that sort of nighttime economy, which was always missing as much as we could do a lot. The cafe could do a lot. The nighttime economy was never there, and that's really what we need for it to feel safe. As much as you've got the skateboarders and everyone, but for, for it to feel safe for people outside in the square, you need to have a buzz of taxis and all those kind of things. I mean, it's a beautiful space now, I mean, with the exception of the area that's going to become the, the museum. I mean, it feels like, you know, a, a nice space for the city. Is, is that your perception as well? Yeah, it's, it's you know, there, there's a there's a bar and a restaurant opening in Building 40, which is just beside where the museum will be. Um, that's very close to opening, I think. It's getting fitted out. The cafe gives a great buzz. And then you get all the rear, you've got the Everton Bakery, which gives a, which is a great product, very badly needed in the water side and uh, gives a great wee buzz around the entrance there. Then you've got all wonderful Atelier and all those guys up, up at the top as well. So it's, you know, I it certainly, I only know this anecdotally, but the, the, and I know that all the, all the buildings are effectively taken now in some format. Um, so it is a place in demand now, finally, as opposed to when we went in when nobody really would near it or and told us not to, you know. And, and what's your overall perception of what the Ebrington as a development site means for the city as a whole? Like we, we, get, we do get a lot of American bus tours coming in and the risers, biggest saucers when they, when they arrive. And, and when we tell the story of, of Ebrington Barracks and, and it even goes back, you know, we, we, go, for, we go back as far as the siege of Derry, 1609, when um, you know, the Jacobite forces were, so, so the fact that this site has always been about conflict. So siege of Derry, um, obviously at Barracks and all the way up to the Troubles. Um, so this site has always been about conflict. And I never, my only memory of Everton Barracks was just helicopters coming up and down, you know, I didn't know what was inside it. So when we tell the story of that and now it being a place of um, community and innovation and as I said, we always say in the brewery, people come in and they argue about beers now in our building, which we believe is some kind of intelligence building. We're not sure. Um, so people come and argue about beers that are religion and it just feels like Evan Barks is part of the healing process of the city, which is a long way to go, but it, it really feels as if we need it to do well, tied in with the Peace Bridge, obviously, which is the communities being linked. I mean, also, obviously, across the city and region, there's frustration that all this has taken so long. I mean, but presumably, you felt that as a business. From from, from the lofty point of, of Mount Hindsight, I think we, you know, if we'd been to, if if the hotel if we'd been told the hotel was opening in 2023, in 2015, then we probably wouldn't have gone ahead with it. Um, but what you know, what kept us going, I suppose, was always the location because on a sunny evening, which which we had in June and a heat wave in September, there is no better spot. You know, there's very few west-facing um, establishments for hospitality in the city. So the sun just sets there and that's what has always been there for us. And, and when the tourists and they come out and there's a, they always say it's a very European feel, you know, very continental feel. You've got the skateboarders who are fab out and about and the kids run around and, on, on the square. And that's, that's always what reassures us that it is, it's a brilliant location. 
could it have been done quicker and differently? Absolutely. I think everyone would say that, you know. And I suppose you're touching on a really important point, which is there's very few locations in the city where you can sit comfortably outside. And that actually adds something to the quality of the city, doesn't it? It does. It does. It's, it's, it is that European thing. It's, it's, uh, it's a cafe culture. Um, and, 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 you know, we, we do, you know, we've been talking to tourists so much and they just sit out there on a sunny evening and they, they, they absolutely love it. You know, it changes their whole perception sometimes, not, not because it's just a one city brewery, but Everton Square changes the perception of people, people's perception of Derry. You know, of it being a, a new city and it's healing and it's it's safe. And and how would you like the Ebrington development to evolve over the next years? Um, I would really love. You know, I think I think I think office space is kind of maxed out now at this stage. I would, I would obviously love the the, the grid A is there and people have people have very strong opinions as they do in Ebrington Square about the building, but it is there. Obviously, that was very, very badly hamstrung by COVID um, in terms of office spaces not being really too premium. You're talking about the major new office development. Yes, yes. So those two buildings, that that's once I'm sure they will be occupied at some stage and that will give hopefully some high salary jobs for the city and most more importantly for the water side because they will... Really, that'll really help Clooney Terrace and all that area, Spencer Road, which which really needs it as well. So, um, and for us obviously as well. And there are other offices around the square, which is which is great. But I think you know there's a restaurant bar building forty. There's another restaurant bar I think going into the old uh, Barrack Masters House, which is the front, that beautiful house at the front. Um, and and then what I you know I'd love more sort of innovative quirky hospitality venues that are a wee bit different you know um we've 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 got the hotel we've got what we do we've got the embankment just something a wee bit different you know and um, that was always you know when we filled in that application form for everything square years ago it was always about um not displacing businesses from the city center it was very very conscious of that and that you know that's that's kind of why we got it because we were so different so sort of making an add-on to the city centre as opposed to possibly um, being in competition with the city centre because the city centre's got its own troubles as well in terms of um, footfall and everything. So, I think what we can agree, James, in, in finishing the conversation is that Ebrington has become a brilliant space, though still not fulfilled completely because there's still so much at the back that's empty. But actually, it's just frustrating it's taken so long. Yeah, I think so. You know, this there's, you know, I chatted to at the start with Alex guys, and there was, you know, there there was certainly a lot of legacy there, and I I, I could see their frustrations because, you know, they effectively took over a, a site which was an old army site from 1841, so there was a huge amount of um, infrastructure that needed to go in, and um, there was certainly reasons why it was hampered so long but i think i think the reality is that it's probably 21 years now since it was handed over so and that's that is way too long in anybody's book um and then it was hit by covid and brexit so there are very valid reasons but yeah so we are where we are and uh hotel's doing great cafe's doing great um we, dna museum i think should be hopefully starting soon in terms of its construction um and that's kind of the final piece of the jigsaw. If we get the new office blocks occupied, DNA Museum, I think, 
pretty much there. Okay, thanks to James for that. Paul, who else did you speak to? Now, I also spoke with Paul Nellis, uh, director of Challenge Curve, which is a software business that is based in the AMP building, which is overlooking the main Ebrington Square. To head off, tell us a bit what uh, Challenge Curve is and, and why you're located, what, in the AMP building at Ebrington? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so Challenge Curve is a specialist software quality uh, assurance and testing consultancy. So that means we work with organizations where IT or technical solutions is critical to their business. And if they're doing a lot of change, if they're building a new application, then we can provide independent testing to make sure that their software is fit for purpose. So most of our clients work in sectors that are regulated, such as financial services sector. So we work with a few, um, what's called challenger banks and fintechs, where they're delivering a new financial product, a savings product or a credit card product. Uh, and of course, if the software is flaky, then they're gonna have lots of disgruntled customers or people wonder where their money's gone. So we test those applications to make sure they're fit for purpose, that they're robust, secure, resilient, performance, uh, et cetera. So we do a lot of testing on smartphones, on banking applications. We've, we've got multiple devices of phones and Androids and iPhones. And, and then we tested the back end as well so that all of the integrations with different third-party systems are all working. So that's the nature of our business. Um, most of our clients like us to work, work on site. Um, so we're based in London and that's where we've done most of our work since we were founded in 2015. However, we had this thing called COVID a few years ago, which meant that if organizations still wanted to develop things, they had to accept remote working. So people being outside of their firewall. And we got involved with uh, a major bank in Kuwait who wanted to launch a new financial services platform in London because of the high standards of regulation in the London market. It brings integrity to a lot of uh, international banks. Um, and so we had the opportunity to work with this bank remotely and we thought, well, we had an opportunity to scale our team. And we thought, well, let's have a, a kind of a near shore office to London, whereby we could invest in a in creating a new operation there. Um, and ideally, you know, contribute something to a local economy at the same time. So my business partner, Chris, had suggested Dublin. Um, he lived and worked there uh, a number of years ago for a year, even though he's 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 an English lad. Uh, and one of our colleagues thought Middlesbrough, where he was from, uh, it's a you know regional area of Northeast England and it, it suffers from high unemployment, et cetera. Um, I persuaded Chris to come to Derry and Chris was just blown away by, by the reception that we received. So we ended up uh, setting up in Derry um, in Everton Square. And why Everton? Um, well, initially we, we weren't in Everton. They, they were still doing work on the, on the AMP building. And we took a location out by Skeg Business Park, um, run by Northwest Enterprises. Uh, we had a you know modern office space there. It was great for the team. The firewall, the people were were fantastic. But because we have a team that comes from um, from Donegal and Tyrone, as well as you know the city and its surrounding countryside, um, I thought we all wanted a location that was centre and. When we saw the AMP and met the, the two gentlemen responsible for the AMP and their vision, we thought, wow, this is where it's happening. We, we want to be based here. We want to sort of uh, 
the sort of pollination with all our teams, with all our startups, um, and likewise, you know, being close to the city center, uh, we wanted to invest and, and, and create, you know, a very pleasant environment for our employees um, that was in the center of town, lots happening, and they could meet and leads with people, you know, in other industries as well. Whereas Skig, Skig Business Park, as I said, it was great, but there was a few big anchor clients who who hadn't gone back after COVID, who were letting their people still work remotely. So so Skig was very, very isolated in some respects. There wasn't enough people there. If you understand, it felt like a sort of an empty building, except for the challenge curve thing. And I've been inside your building at AMP, and it's it's beautiful. It's it's a really lovely regenerated uh, set of offices, isn't it? Yeah, the Ryan and Aaron who are responsible for it, um, they they put a lot of their investment into you know everything from from the wood that's some Siberian birch wood. I remember getting the editor about about the wood paneling, the sound paneling, um, and they wanted to you know to be uh, a focal point for. All our organizations that drop in where they have events and seminars etc and you know we've contributed to to a number of those in the past so it's it's a nice vibrant atmosphere and of course it's all happening uh in conjunction as well with all our works going on in Edmonton square so we're all familiar with the um uh there's the Walt city brewery there's the new bakery uh the local pub got a refurbishment where a lot of our members spent their time and of course the new hotel as well so it's a it's a real vibrant area and be part of that you know it's it's, it's a privilege to be part of that does it feel like a community um the the amp does i think with the rest of everything probably not at the moment because there has been a lot of change and for the last 18 months there have been lorries and builders and a lot of scaffolding outside the hotel so it means people have had to deviate from that um I think I think the community probably will come and and do course. Uh, certainly, you know we're we're keeping an eye for maybe you know uh, organizations and everything to come together as a sort of collective. It hasn't happened yet, but but we have been doing things with the local chamber of commerce. So that might be the overarching forum where where it might bring things together a bit. But but yeah, the community will come in time. I'm sure. And how would you like Everington as a place to develop? What would you like to see happen to it uh, in the near future? Ooh, really good question. I think I think Everton lacks a little bit of critical mass. Maybe that's the word I was uh, the expression I was looking for in terms of community. Lacks a bit of critical mass at the moment. And and we know that there's other buildings that are either, you know earmarked for refurbishment or for new tenants to come in. I think we need more of that. Um I think we're not at the community level yet. We we got little pockets of it because it is a big square. You know the, the the sheer size of the place can could be an inhibitor but i think and, and maybe the hotel could have been the well still can be could be the sort of focal point to bring people together a bit you know to have open evenings of to invite the local businesses along and get to know everyone else because they have the space and size to accommodate that the the amp the amp's a great building um, but I remember when I spoke to Ryan and Aaron when we first moved in there, they thought, guys, you know what, if we bought this three times the size, we, we could have filled it as well. You know, so that would have gained a bit more critical mass. So I think Everington, I'm not aware of all of the other plans that are happening there, but I certainly think that uh, future plans needs to incorporate the, the new startups, the new 
industries, the new sectors where jobs are going to be created. And, and I think a lot of those, um, but by their size, will probably be more indigenous organizations as opposed to large corporates. So I am mindful of the fact that um, that the large glass building um, uh, beside us, uh, we don't know who's been moving in there. We heard it was like there was going to be a large corporate. And I think what what's, what would be really important for, for the city is that they promote an indigenous uh, organizations or organizations that are small enough like ours where where we're really you know I'm a I'm the director of challenge curve if, if Chris and I agree something that happens where where we want to contribute and grow the teams um, as opposed to some of the big corporates and we are aware that corporates can come in they can get some investment and then clear off a few years later when it doesn't suit them um, so I think there needs to be more effort on helping to grow those sustainable industries as it were and really just to complete it quickly yeah and and to complete it because it lacks critical mass there's still a atmosphere of it a work in progress you know and i love the openness uh, you know the view you get from the rest of the city when you you cross over the uh, the peace bridge and you get into everything i always take a look across and i love the view but it, it has that air of it's still a work in progress type thing to be done yeah Okay, thanks to Paul Nealis for speaking with us. Can you tell us, Paul, what's going to happen now at Everington? Because it's still some way from completion. It's like if you walk through, it's still not fully done. Absolutely, and that's the main area. We've still got the car park, uh, which is a car park at the back. Um, now, one of the most exciting developments is the new DNE Museum. Now, uh, that's close to the Peace Bridge. It's the, if anyone who knows Derry will see it uh, at the top there on the left. Now, it's close to the Peace Bridge, but I should perhaps say that personally, I hate the name. I don't know why they're talking about a DNA museum, because I always think of genetics. But actually, it stands for the Derry North Atlantic Museum, and it's about the city's maritime history. It is now scheduled to open in 2025, so that's another two years. Uh, it had originally been intended to be operational back in 2016. Okay, so another part that's been delayed... Uh, yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a trend here, isn't there? Um, the, the council tells us that some of the funding has now been secured. The rest is in negotiation and the council is advancing with procurement for construction to begin as soon as possible. Now, I'd love to tell you about plans for the development of the rest of Ebrington site, but I can't. Uh, the executive office declined to provide someone for interview. And I went back when I went back to them asking for a written statement, I didn't get a reply. Now, I also asked Heron Brothers, which has been the main developer of the Ebrington Plaza offices, for the state of play on that development. But again, I didn't receive a response. OK, so what's happening over the future management of the Ebrington site? Well, the public row has certainly trickled through the local conversations and it's upset a lot of the councillors. Uh, so Derry City and Strabane District Council has agreed a resolution. The councillors met and discussed this and passed a, a resolution. Uh, which I have to say, to be honest, I, I don't think is a, a very definitive, clear uh, explanation of where we are going from here. Why is that? Now, the, the, the resolution says that the council reaffirms its commitment to the transfer of Embrington from the executive office to the council as soon as it's practically possible. So I have no idea what that means in terms of timetable, nor what part of Embrington that relates to. The resolution also asks for council officers to engage with the executive office and i quote here so that 
Council can provide the management and oversight function of sustainable and cost-effective events at the square. Now, as far as I know, I don't know if there's been a response and it, uh, if there is a response at all from the executive officer, I don't know what it is. Now, the council's also told us, quote, it is happy to continue to engage regularly with the executive office in relation to various aspects of the Ebrington site. The council, as a key stakeholder in the city and district, is keen to be involved in any co-design process and consultative role in relation to the Ebrington Square site. I should just add that if actually at some point Ebrington was trans over, transferred over to the council, there are serious concerns, I believe, in uh, what the implications financially would be for ratepayers uh, in Derry, because perhaps if it did happen, there would need to be some sort of dowry paid by the executive office for the council to compensate for the cost of running the, the site. Hmm. Okay. So it still seems a, a story to be continued, Paul? Yes. Uh, and as I said earlier, there's um, much of the wider Ebrington site yet to be developed. Uh, so 21 years after the site was agreed for handover, we're, we're still not at the end of the story. Okay, so Fort George. I dread to think what you're going to tell me about Fort George here. Well, yeah, it's not it's not great, is it? Eh? I mean, if we think that uh, Ebrington is slow, then well, Fort George is significantly slower. Uh, Fort George was transferred under a different arrangement to that of Ebrington. It was handed back by the Ministry of Defence to London Tory, Londonderry Port and Harbour, which it's at least from. Um, now that's of course known as Foyle Port these days, and was sold to the Department for Social Development which changed its name to Department for Communities. Now, that was sold to DSD um, in May 2004 for £12 million, and that's 19 years ago. So both Fort George and Ebrington were to be regenerated under the leadership of the former Ilex Urban Regeneration Company. And to be fair, there were more challenges with the Fort George site than with Ebrington. And when you say challenges, what do you mean? Is physical or or planning or what was it? Well, the initial one was serious site pollution, which needed to be remediated. Uh, now, Fort George was part of a naval dockyard and consequently was subject to serious oil con contamination. Now, that cost several million pounds to deal with, which was partially paid for by the Ministry of Defence. But then further remediation was required to resolve an infestation of Japanese knotweed, which is an invasive species. Now, that added cost and delayed redevelopment. Okay, but surely those two things didn't add 19 years of delay to the process? Um, no, I don't believe they did. Um, much of the recent history, not much has happened at Fort George. But the, there's the big catalyst building. You know, everybody will see it, and it's pretty obvious, and it's a really impressive-looking building down there. Yeah, we've got that. Uh, catalyst was previously known as the Northern Ireland Science Park. That's what it was known as when it was initially built. It operates as a starter development and incubation unit for technology businesses. Now, that has been so successful that a second catalyst unit is to be built. Planning permission has been approved and finance is being arranged. That's good to see stuff happening. So what else, Paul, what else is happening in Fort George? Because it's like there has been some talk about what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, so Catalyst has got two plots of land at Fort George. And there's a third parcel of land that has been sold to the Western Trust for a new health and care centre. The Department for Communities confirmed to us that the sale has been finalised and the land is now in the, the ownership of the Western Trust. Now, the department told us that Western Trust will use the site for an, quote, integrated primary community and acute, unquote, centre. And the department added that the facility will provide accommodation for multidisciplinary working 
and will include the capacity for a broader range of diagnostic treatment and care services to be delivered in a community setting. Now, this will generate 250 new permanent jobs, as well as relocating into the site 450 existing staff posts. Okay, well, it's great to hear about new posts coming. Um, I don't think anybody can argue with that. But I suppose you're going to tell us, just following the pattern from previous developers or concerned agencies, that neither the Department for Communities nor the Western Trust were willing to be interviewed? Um, you've guessed it, yeah. Um, but they did both give us statements, which okay. is better than some others. Now, the Western Trust also gave us a long statement, and I'll quote from a bit of this. This major development will facilitate changes in current delivery, which will provide for an integrated care model, which is flexible to changing needs, provides for improved clinical pathways, and will enable the maximization of opportunities from a range of service adjacencies. This development demonstrates the trust taking the steps necessary to ensure the infrastructure is in place to address the growing demands across all our services. Uh, that unquote there. Uh, now the trust did add that it's working to complete the outline business case, which is needed to move ahead with procurement for construction. Okay, so how long has this taken to this point? Well, back in 2015, um, that's nearly eight years ago, the Department for Communities was given outline planning permission for a mixed-use development of Fort George. Then, in 2018, so that's now almost three years after that, it initiated a tender process for the land. Western Trust obtained approval for its bid. Okay, but that was five years ago. I know we've had COVID and everything else in between as well, but it hasn't been built yet. Uh, correct, yeah. We submitted a Freedom of Information request to see the correspondence between the two organisations to try and get an understanding of why things have been so badly delayed. We were told that the correspondence amounted to thousands of items and therefore was excused from disclosure because of the cost of administration. Okay, so getting back to the site uh, in general then, Paul, do you, how large a site does Fort George? Uh, 11 acres, so it's big. Okay, so we've got one catalyst building, another one planned, and then the, the new health centre. Um, will, that, will that take up most of the space? Uh, amazingly, no. Uh, most of the site will still remain vacant. The health trust will occupy 1.7 acres. So the Western Trust did tell us, also a quote, the Department of Communities is working with other stakeholders to progress the development of the remainder of the Fort George site for development, including the planning required for access, internal road and car parking infrastructure, all of which will meet both the Western Trust and future stakeholder needs. Okay, so with one plot in use, two other plots here marked for use, what will happen to the rest? Um, that is yet to be decided by the Department for Communities. So we don't know or they don't know what they're going to do with you. So let me quote from the Department for Communities. Their spokesperson said, the department is currently revising the master plan to incorporate the proposed health and care centre on the site. In the longer term, the department intends to market the remainder of the site. Okay, so it's not entirely clear. <laughs> it still looks like they don't know. Yeah, that's uh, the, the feeling, I think. Uh, they are going to sell it, though. So the, de the development will be in keeping with the outline planning permission, and anyone buying land will have to obtain detailed planning permission in order to build on it. Okay, so I suppose there's a bit of a question too, Paul, around the the river and how we see the river when it comes to development, both at Everington as a site that's on the river and Fort George. As in the past, we've seen, I think, detrimental development along the river foil where we've had the backs of buildings facing onto the river. Is that likely to continue? Or do, Because I, I think we're not making the best or not making the most of our, our riverscape here. 
I think you could argue that Ebrington is an example of good development in the sense that it, it makes use of the, the, the river. You've got great views from the, the walkways at the top of the square, the plaza, uh, to over the river. So I think that is good. And also it, it, it fits in with the, the walk and cycleway that goes alongside it. So I think Ebrington is, is an example of good practice. But and, and some of this stuff is, what you're saying, of course, is perfectly right. We're not making good use of the, the river um, and the, you know, the quality of the views that you get from there. Uh, but I don't think that's unique to Derry. I remember Glenn Patterson saying that uh, he'd been brought up with Belfast in Belfast and, and really he, he never thought about the River Lagan. Um, and he heard the, the seagulls one day and thought, oh, yeah, we've, we've got a waterfront there. And it took many years for Belfast to recognise the value of water scenery. And I... Some of the development in Derry over the years has just been astonishing. That we've got Sainsbury's uh, major supermarket on the bank of the river. We've got uh, the Tech College uh, with a really ugly building, uh, throwing a shadow over the the, the river. Um, we've got Quayside, which is one of the ugliest buildings in Northern Ireland, uh, dominating a, a large amount of it. It's almost as if uh, planners have been embarrassed, and I, you know, perhaps I shouldn't say planners, developers. Perhaps it's actually better to say have just been embarrassed by the, the the sense of not wanting to use the river. It's something to be embarrassed about. Um, so, you know, it does not feel as if we're making great use of it. Um, and I think Ebrington is an example of where we have. But for George, I mean, it's just astonishing that nearly 20 years after what should be a prime site, one of the most beautiful locations in the city, and nothing really has happened. OK, so just to summarise then on the two main sites that we're talking about, Ebrington and Fort George, in just over 20 years, Everington is partially completed, but not, mu not much of it. And in nearly 20 years as well, Fort George is mostly vacant with no clear plans for how most of it is going to be used. Yeah, perfectly summarised, Gerard. Okay, well, on that cheerful note then, <laughs> that's it for this latest podcast. Uh, we do hope that you enjoyed it. And if you didn't enjoy it, at least you learned from it. So thanks to our two interviewees today, Paul Nealis of Challenge Curve and James Hoey of the Wall City Brewery. Sad that others declined to be interviewed, but we get it too, we understand. And thanks, as always, Paul, to yourself uh, for the interviews and the research that you've pulled together. As a reminder, uh, as ever, all our Hollywell Trust Conversations podcast can be listened to through our own website, hollywelltrust.com. And we thank the Northern Ireland Community Relations Council for its support for this series of conversations. Chat is all again soon. Mm -hmm.